As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to another episode of The Beat, post-NFL Draft episode of The Beat, brought to you by BetMGM. I am, of course, Nick Brownberg, along with Brennan Quinn, who uh, Eagles are one player better, at least, after uh, an exciting weekend. Brennan, how are we doing here? we got a couple dudes. A couple dudes. A couple players better, at this least. This guy from Alabama, the, the lineman, might be decent. I like, this running the back. In the I like this running back from Memphis. Oh, yeah, he's a good player. I like Tim Gainwell. That, he's got some juice. That's mm-hmm. good. Yeah, I forgot they got Gainwell. Screwed over the Giants in the process. You got to like that. Big win. Big W there. <laughs> got Gettleman. Got Gettleman in the middle of the whole thing. So Yeah, Howie Roseman, who's been taking uh, some bullets left and right. He scored, yeah, well, scored some points by screwing the Giants. So. Some, some well-earned bullets, I'll say. Yeah, how are you, how are you uh, recovering from a, a, a weekend on the clock? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Fine. Uh, Monday after the draft's always a little, like, you know – groggy i guess uh to get back out of it but um gotta start looking at next year's crop i suppose at some point here right but we have other things today no nfl draft well there might be some questions in there but we figured we'd open it up uh to a mailbag today as we um had some things we wanted to discuss and we knew some of them would be asked so without further do you want to just get into it here or do you want to yeah let's go let's get nuts we got plenty of questions so wait have you and burke potted since the uh draft no, I think we're going to tomorrow, I believe so. Tomorrow, okay. Uh, that we'll talk about uh, all things Lions there. As we, That's good. Uh, because I, lis- I listened to a front. few of the ones from my uh, our Eagles boys over there who, yep. were doing, who were doing live shows after each round, which were insane. And they were delirious at the end of each one. And it was pretty damn funny. I was like yeah, waiting for that. one to set up that <laughs> ends up with, you know, disciplinary actions from within the company <laughs> they, were, they were borderline delirious i will say this like saturday if they were doing them on saturday that's a long saturday is a hard day they did thursday <laughs> night friday night saturday night saturday so i tweeted this saturday more like saturday is the um 
Saturday separates the the children from the adults <laughs> in the in the NFL football uh, whatever you want to call it. Like if you're tasked with covering the draft and you've never done it before, you can reasonably get through Thursday and Friday without like feeling like you're about to die. Sure. Saturday, if your team that you're covering trades down and are like, hey, we just went from 120 to 275, like have a good day, my man. It's going to be a long, (laughs) so it's a long day, but everybody got through it one way or the other. So Yeah, well. We do. I, uh, do you have a grade for the Lions before we move on? Uh, no. I mean, like, we'll see. I don't like to do that like right right off of the draft. I don't think that's fair. But I would say, wow, wow, that is very um, diplomatic of you, man. I what would kind of say, sports writer are you? No, I mean, I think they did well. I, I would say that nothing they did. You had our friends at the, um, our friends at the Free Press took a big dump on the yeah, well, Lions was, the night of the they, th- Thursday's first round pick. They gave the Sewell pick a D, which is, <laughs> uh, which I would disagree with that. I would probably give it an A considering I'm allowed have, to say this cause I'm a subscriber. We, so. we, I am too. <laughs> uh, we did have, I will say this. We did have Penny Sewell number one on our board mm-hmm, a week mm-hmm. before the draft. We had uh, Rashawn Slater, who was the guy they chose between Sewell with uh, right. as like number right up there. So we had all that down, and I think Sewell is an A. I think all the guys that they got are really good athletes, but we'll see, you know, how they pan. I will say, and this isn't because I like you guys, but I will say, Players, you know, going like I, I listened to that pre-draft pod that you did with Burke that day. You guys, you nailed it pretty good. I mean, yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty. They, were on, they you were on top of it pretty good there. They picked it logically. I think like that's been the read that I've right. done. On that's the hard thing stuff. to predict is when the team yeah. you cover is just going to go rogue and just do something completely insane. Like the things that you don't understand are the things like their personal favorites. Like those are the things you'll never get. You'll never right. get. And they'll never tell you. So like, for instance, like they picked uh, Levi on a defensive tackle uh, early in the second round. Right. And like he was, he's a really good defensive tackle. Like he's, you know, arguably the number one defensive tackle on the board. It was just a matter of like where you valued him. So like I, sure. when I went through a bunch of stuff, I thought, okay, well he would fit with them, but like maybe they'll take him uh, with one of the third round picks. Maybe they would take him a different, I don't know. Right. Or maybe they would right. like somebody else ahead of him. So like, you just don't know sometimes who they have ahead of what, but you know, whatever. Uh, pretty good either way. So we've got some uh, college questions to get into today. You ready for, uh, um, oh, I am absolutely ready to get jumping here. I've got a good one to start us with. Here we one go. that's topical and on the, uh, I have one guess. Yeah. On point here. Let me find it from Lindsay Axel. <clears throat> Lindsay asks, is, uh, is BQ personally responsible for Amani Bates decommitting for Michigan state? <laughs> and do you feel vindicated now that you've been proven cor- correct on, on the situation? So take it away, uh, my man. On Amani okay. Uh, so yeah, I, look, I mean, the decommitment to me, I was always in my mind going to be when, not if like in yeah. some way, you know, I never th- thought he was going to play there. And most people did not mm. This is not, I'm not special on this one at all. I think most people, even when he committed said, that's probably never going to happen. And then as you know, everything transpired from June onward, whatever, um, kind of all signs continued to point that way. And, um, yeah, look, I think the timing of it was just the timing of it. And, uh, the thing that was the thing that was strangest about his announcement was him saying like, Oh, I'm going to 
leave open the the college option and because that like made it sound like it's about Michigan State and it's or or like that has something to do with it and from every conversation I've had that has nothing to do with anything Michigan State didn't even know he was decommitting yeah like you know it's I th- to me it just seemed like an attention grab when you put in the whole like college part right like not not a great look it didn't seem like it was maybe that well thought out um because I doubt that was the intention you know what I mean to like throw any shade on Michigan State I doubt that that had yeah in any way an, an end game or a goal um but it's certainly incidental for anyone that's like has passing interest, right? It's, oh, he's decommitting from Michigan State, but still holding open the college option. Like, why is that? Which, you know what I mean? Like, right. you know, Johnny, casual fan, you don't know, right? So no. that that part to me was a little strange. Um, I, 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 I'm I not responsible for <laughs> for him decommitting. Uh, I, <laughs> Do you feel I, I, I'm going to even guess, I'm going to go ahead and guess that Amani probably did not read that 65 yeah. word story. But, no. Um, yeah, and, and that story, like we talked about at the time, and, and people who want like further insight into this can go back and listen to the the kind yeah, of we one-off that. episode that we did that kind of unpacked that whole story um, if you want to go fully down the wormhole. But um, I forget the point I was about to Can I just next. say something really quick of here? Of course. So you wrote a story on this like a month or two ago. When, when did that yeah. story run? Uh, winter or fall? Um couple months yeah, ago, probably six weeks ago it was still during the season seven weeks ago so weeks. you wrote a big story and as we talked about on that episode a lot of it had to do with his dad and his you know uh ej you know was one of the main oh, that's what i was gonna characters. say was right. the, the story wasn't about him it was about everything else right? Right. right ej was the main character in the story and ej's sort of the world that he's built around his son right right and we said this at the time but i'll say it again like when you're reading a story like that it's six thousand words there's a lot of stuff going on it, it involves, it requires some critical thinking uh, skills to decipher all things that are being presented to you and understand what was happening when Amani Bates and his dad and whoever else was in the screen when they went on SportsCenter with an Ipsy, Ipsy Prep t-shirt on in June of last year and said, we're committing to Michigan State. They did it to get an Ipsy Prep t-shirt on television. I can say this. You, I, I don't cover Monty Bates. I don't care. <laughs> they did it to get an Ipsy Prep t-shirt on television. They mm-hmm. like Michigan State. They did it, I think, to probably give them some juice, too, to be like, if Amani were to go to college, this is where he would go. Similar to what we always hear with, like, LeBron and mm-hmm. Ohio State, right? Now, the question that I have, I guess, I, it, the weird one for me that I can't quite understand is, like you just mentioned, it was the whole, like, why would he say I'm decommitting but I'm still leaving open like the possibility, which is just like, what? Like, that's the one that's weird to me, I guess. And this whole thing, the rest of it made sense. It was just whatever. I mean, if you didn't be serious, then it's whatever. But like, I guess the one thing that I could, I look at and say, like, I don't understand that would be the, um, you know, what's this about? You know, you're leaving your options open. I I guess maybe is that like, I'm leaving my options open. I guess that would include Michigan state. I don't know. Like, I don't know what that means, but right. That's the, so let's go through some of these. Um, on like the ESPN announcement thing, like, yeah, I mean, look, when they reached out to ESPN originally, it was, we're yeah, announcing right. the creation of Ipsy Prep and we ESPN want to do went it on down the road on them. And like, there's been very, there's various <laughs> versions of how this all went down in kind of the basketball ecosystem, right? The rumors of sure. how it went down and, you know, like the original story I was told 
was the Bateses reached out, said, we want to announce Ipsy Prep. ESPN said, this doesn't rise to the level of a live spot on Sports Center, And then they said, right. we'll do Michigan State, right? But that story was rebuffed. It was in my reporting. like Because right. I, I got someone at ESPN who was actually like on the production side of it to be like, no, they, they came first with the Michigan State thing with Ipsy Prep. No, they came oh, first okay. with Ipsy Prep, and we were willing to go down the road with them. <laughs> and then they were like, "By the way, we're also going to announce Michigan State." Okay. And then Mich- and ESPN people were like, "Wait, that's like that's the much bigger news." Like, let's just do that's, that. That's the oh, okay. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about Ipsy Prep, but yeah, but Michigan State is the story, not Ipsy Prep. I see what you're like, saying. That's how it got rebuffed. And actually, Steve Haney, who is a familiar name for people who follow the shenanigans of NCAA basketball over the last five years and the FBI case, like he was right. And he defended Christian Dawkins. Um, he was actually the go-between mm-hmm. on, on, from the Bates contacting ESPN, but anywho, so that's that. Um, but the point you're saying is right though. The, 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 the news in their mind last year was the creation of Ipsy prep as right. this vehicle for Amani to get to where he's going. Right. Right. People happen. Some people happen to believe that that place was Michigan State, and that was incorrect. Right? You can believe whatever you want. Like that's <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, like so. <laughs> the uh, the the part about like reading that story with like a level of tact is is true though. Like there there was a lot going going on there, and it it is. It's all about control. It's all about um, kind of couriering him through all of these these years where you know right. because of these stupid rules about you know like he would be drafted this year if he could be but he oh, can't yeah he would have been drafted last year because so, <laughs> so they just have to kind of get him to this finish line uh and you know their their plans for how i no idea i mean if i had a bet right now i'd say he's gonna be at ipsy prep next year um best rule of thumb for guys like this and they come around very rarely but like the regular rules don't apply and how mm-hmm. you go about thinking of how they do things so when a kid says when a kid that good tells you that he's committed to play basketball at michigan state right. like let's let's just stop for a second and breathe and understand what that what he's saying and how real the yeah you know like that's not you can tell yourself anything you want to tell yourself but let me ask you this question Brendan, as someone who covers Michigan State and would know, when Amani Bates goes on TV in June of 2020 and with his family and says, I'm going to go commit to Michigan State, did Michigan, did Tom Izzo know that he was going to go do that one minute before he did it? Yes. 20 minutes before he did it. <laughs> so 24 hours. 24 hours. Okay. 25. So he didn't know 24 hours. Some of the people on the staff did not know until did not it know. was going down. Right. Okay. Right. So I think that that right there, yeah, I mean, it was totally out of the blue. It. it was totally <laughs> random. It would never made sense. Nobody right. there ever really thought that he was going to be playing there. They were yeah. recruiting. I made this point on a radio show yesterday. And it's not a big um, deal. Like, it's not that big a it's deal. It's really not a big deal in terms right. of their planning, you know? Like, right, yeah. Sure, in the back of their mind, they're like, hey, if this dude wants to show up and play, then okay. Of course, of but, course. you know, they were not banking on it. And if anything, in terms of them trying to re- recruit out the 2022 class, like mm-hmm. this probably helps a little bit because 
that had to have been a very strange conversation you're having with recruits where you're like, so yeah, Amani's yeah. committed for 2022. We don't actually think he's going to play here in 2022. <laughs> so you can come here. Those minutes are available, right? Like, but unless he changed his mind, it, it right. just left a program <laughs> in a very strange gray area. And you know, they, people would still say Amani Bates is committed to Michigan state. And like when everyone that knows is rolling yeah. their eyes, like that's not a great spot for anyone to be in. Right. Like, um, right. Yeah. It, it's, it's kind it's messy is the word that, that I would, I would use. I think there was good intentions behind that, but yeah, it was messy. I think the intentions were, I don't know about good. The intentions were positive. I would say would maybe the better word. I don't think they're innocent. It it certainly wasn't to be at anyone's detriment. Right. No, I think they were trying to probably help Michigan state. Maybe they thought they were, and maybe Izzo was like, they were pissed about the recruiting thing. They were pissed that everyone on it just punted on them. Yeah, like Duke, uh, uh, Kentucky, Kansas, Carolina, everyone just ignored him because and, and maybe that's the reward to uh to Izzo there. That's how I looked at it at the time. Was like Yeah. I mean you, he put in the effort, man. Yeah, you recruited us. Like you we have a relationship no matter what happens. I think Tom said that, right? Like no matter what happens with uh, they're going to be tight or to some degree. Like right. if Amani needs something right. in 10 years and needs to call Tom, he can do that. Like and I think that that's how Tom recruits. Right. And I think that that's sort of a testament to him as a recruiter. And I thought when I saw that, that that was EJ saying like, we like Tom Mizzo a lot. And if we want to link him to us, then that's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Like, and mm-hmm. I think that that's what it was. And I just don't think there was any more to it. Right. Um, on the other part of that question, uh, you know, the vindication part. Um, <laughs> you feel vindicated? I, I, no, I mean, that's ridiculous. But Should we hit the dashboard confessional I, music? I will. <laughs> Before I will. we I will. move on. I will say this, like it, things like this should, um, like for, I, I do understand natural skepticism among readers and fans and stuff like that, especially if you're not like overly familiar with who writes what or who does what and what way and blah, 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 blah. Like that's, that's fine. You know what yep. I mean? Like whatever. And a lot of the stuff that you hear from probably you know is a 16 year old, right. Who's just has, is a flamethrower on Twitter and we have no, you know, I have no idea, but yeah. Um, there was a, I did get a lot of like, oh, you, you know, you said that everyone that you spoke to for it said that he wasn't going to play at Michigan State, but, um, but you didn't name names. So this is bullshit. You made it up. You have an agenda, blah, blah, blah. Like the, for me to write that sentence in print, mm-hmm. like, with something like something like that. No, no, no. Like I'm saying the way that it was oh, written, okay. like you need to be so sure about it to actually write that sentence in print. Cause here's the thing. I didn't need to even right. write that at all. But when I was told what I was told by the people that I, who can't have it as a quote on their name. Right. And, there and are, you, there and are again, ways that, that will, these things work. Let me, let me interject. You have to, as a reader, you have to understand that. You have to understand why people like that he is quoting right there cannot have their name on that quote. (laughs) You have to understand that. That is not a damaging quote. That is not something that's meant to hurt anyone. That is something that can be misconstrued, but is someone who would know giving it an honest assessment. Go ahead. And and it was multiple, multiple people who were extremely, extremely close on all sides of things. Like, right. It was locked up. There was no, I felt a thousand percent comfortable writing that. And then of course it got, you know, peeled out as 
as one thing that gets aggregated and it turned into a thing that kind of overshadowed things a little bit. But like the the notion that anyone would make that up and look, are there people out there that would have one person tell them that and write it? Sure, probably. But like, yeah, like look at the look at the amount of, you know, of what went into that story and then ask yourself if reasonably if yeah, right. <laughs> the writer how many people were talked to for this you know? the, the writer would just throw that in there willy-nilly like hey, it gives a shit this isn't a big deal you know what i mean like i can understand the general skepticism from the public when it comes to anonymous sourcing uh we talked about this before we started the podcast like the great example this weekend from the draft was you know the 49ers drafting trey lance at number three and um, that was the big mystery of the draft. That was the biggest mystery in sports for the last eight weeks, mm-hmm. you know, right. Was San Francisco traded up in the draft. They were going to go to number three and it was revealed by God, who knows who that they wanted to draft Mac Jones at number three, six weeks ago. And this started a whole hailstorm of everything else. None of that was attributed to anybody within the 49ers organization, other than just like it was in the ether. And so we see stuff like that. And then I think what you see and I can understand where a, a casual reader would read this and be like, well, fuck that. Like this was wrong. Mm-hmm. So what you end up seeing is just like people that are comfortable talking to people that are 12 hands removed from a situation and are comfortable s- citing them as a source. If you pay attention close enough, you can always find out who does that and you can always find out who doesn't. Right. And I, now the hard part for the reader is you shouldn't have to pay that close of attention, right? Like that's our job. You shouldn't have to go over every single bullshit item that a national whatever throws out there over the course of an eight week period to see how many times it contradicted themselves. But that's the world we live in, right? Like that's, that's the situation. I understand it. But like when somebody like Brandon writes that story and there's all those voices who are on the record talking, you, you know, you sort of need to, make sure. And I think the majority of people understood what you're saying, but like the, it's a, it's sort of an indictment on the media today because, you know, a line in a 6,000 word story in the bottom third of it can't be pulled out and aggregated. That's just right. fucking ridiculous. Right. Like that's just like, what? Like, well, and, Am- and Amani came out that day, yeah. I remember and said, you know, put something out there. Like I speak for myself or right. blah, 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 but <laughs> like, he was okay. responding to the aggregations. The fans. Yeah. Right. He was responding yeah. to the aggregations that were all these headlines that were just Oh, Monty Bates is, is not going to Michigan State. I'm sitting there like, oh, God. And now right. I probably should have foreseen that that was going to be peeled off like that. But yes, you know, I thought I knew it. Rig- I, I think we probably talked about that. Like, yeah. this is immediately how it's going to be perceived. Yeah. So it's fine. You know, but that was a whiff. But, uh, but yeah, he responded to that. And people were like, see, Monty's calling you on bullshit. I'm like, I really don't think that's what this yeah. is. But, and, you know, it was given. You know, we, we tried to talk to him for the story and they declined yeah. and said I could submit questions. I just I just would, want people would, to that understand would, that he would write that he would respond to in writing. And I, I yeah, we weren't. And I, I just that, want people but. to understand something. And I think that they know this from the two of us. If either person here talking to you puts something that says a source close to or anonymous, whatever the fuck. Like <laughs> understand that both of us, if we put that in a story, like went through like uh, you know, stomach pain inducing anxiety over whether or not to put that in the story. Sure. Okay? Like understand that that is something that we, you know, when you talk about everybody has things in their job, like those are things that we lay at, you know, you stare at the ceiling at four in the morning being like, should I take that out? Right. Okay. Like that's, 
those are conversations that actually happen and you're trying your best to protect all things and all sides of that. And you have to understand that for most writers, I would say that's a pretty agonizing situation for a lot of Certainly writers. Certainly most it's not. people. Yeah. For a lot of writers, it's not, it's bullshit. They do make it up. There are people out there that make stuff up that just say source says, and you're like, whatever, right? Like that's, <laughs> it happens. But for most of us who do it properly, I think that that's yeah. how I, it's a pretty tough thing. Like if, yeah. If you know you have to be able to put a perspective like that in there, but you can't do it, it's hard because you're just like, you don't yeah. want yourself to be exposed or somebody to come back on you. But, you know, it is what it is. Perfect. I will say to put a pin in this thing, I, if I have one hope here, I, like I do hope that they just get their hands a little bit more around this thing for the good of of the guy, of Amani. Like, yeah, you know, this thing is That's just fair. a rocket. Like I said, I think I wrote this story. Like he's, you know, straddling a rocket ship. Yeah, you need and, to uh, calm the messaging down a little bit, maybe. And just yeah, like, like this. Play basketball. I, I said, you know, I, when I on Friday when it all went down, I, I called uh, a guy in in his kind of inner circle, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Listen, man, I, I'm not here to t- tell you how to do anything right. or, or anything like that, but you know, you guys need to the, the whole part about leaving college <laughs> open. I'm like, you got to realize how that gets interpreted, you know, like and mm-hmm. like." what thought is being put into how that gets worded or, or who is handling, you know, like that's stuff that should probably be given a little bit more consideration. Um, yeah. You know, you just throw that in there and you know, you're all you're doing is clouding things I mean, a little bit. And now, yeah. and, and at the same time, I don't think they give two no, flying right, right, shits right. what right. people say about Amani and on to a degree, to a degree. I just don't but, think it's something that he needs to be But then about, there you know? is there is mass sensitivity on other on other things and w- what some people might say about, you know, his trajectory and things like that. So yeah. it's like they like to play it on one hand, we don't care, but then somebody will say something that clearly bothers them and right. it becomes reactionary and you're like, you know, there's handling things with a little tact here should be uh at the forefront of, of getting this thing to the uh to draft day. Yeah. I just think that if, if something happens to where he has to go on Twitter and talk about how it's bothering him, then you probably just need to leave it alone now. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it's like, you're just creating issues that don't need to be created. I mean, it okay. seems like at this point, but either way. All right. What else we got? Do you want me to read one? Uh, yeah. Go for it. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's see here. Got somebody asking you for a P.O. box to send you a Devonta Smith jersey here. Evan, you just, just send it to Washington. <laughs> Golf club, I'll pick it up in June. Whenever I get in. Hopefully on the back on the course. Um, What's the deal with the new UM Beam Me Up Scotty transfer portal landing? Does he fit with Juwan's scheme? I I think this is just a question about Devontae Jones. Um, Yeah, and like, it's going to be interesting to see how these programs kind of, you know, lean on on the portal more and more. And Michigan is obviously, you know, back-to-back years getting what looks like a, a lead point guard out of it is, is notable. Um, I think he fits nicely. He, uh, 
He can play out of ball screens. He, he, we, we talked for a while um, for a story that we ran on Saturday and, you know, he was effusive in saying that I'm a pass first point guard. People have it wrong. They think that I'm a scoring guard because of what I was asked to do at coastal Carolina. Sounds um, familiar. It did. It really, I mean, it, it was echoes of Mike Smith. Sounds um, familiar. You know, Mike, Mike's probably a little bit of a better three point shooter than sure. Devonte Jones. Um, the numbers spell that out. And if you look at him on film, you're like, Mike Smith looks like a three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. Devontae Jones has made some threes, but I, I I look at his form and that's just like, oh yeah, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I, I asked him, I'm like, where did you learn to shoot that way? He's like, oh, I was self-taught. Okay. I bet you were. <laughs> yeah, right. It's kind of it looks like a little Eli Brooks-ish, like it's flat-footed, but it's even more so off the bridge of his nose. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Um, so he he's got jump. he's got kind of a funky form. It can go in. Yeah. Um, he's had decent stretches last year. He probably would have finished a little bit better if he didn't, he really went cold on the last 10 games of the year, but, um, he, he makes, he can make decisions out of the ball screen. I think he gives them experience in the backcourt. I think more than anything, he allows everyone to fit better roles, yeah. um, that you'd want them in. So Eli Brooks gets to stay off the ball and just be Eli Brooks and Frankie Collins gets to come along with, you know, a, a natural maturation as a freshman point guard. You're not just asking him to maybe, you know, just do things that are above and beyond what you'd be wanting to ask a freshman point guard for, especially when you're a team that has Hunter Dickinson for, you know, yeah. probably one more year, right? Like if you have a potential first, second team All-American center, you, you want to surround him with as much as you can to get as much out of the situation as, as possible. Cause you know, with, with the, with the talent that they have coming in and with Dickinson back and with Eli deciding to play another year, like, you know, they're poised, they're in position to, to make another run at this thing. So, um, yeah, I think it gives them a little breathing room in, in, in the backcourt. Um, I'll be curious to see um, just how good he is. It's so hard to project these up transfers, and we've talked about this a number of times, that, like, you know, Mike Smith is not the norm. You know, Mike Smith's kind of an outlier in terms of you going from the Ivy League to the Big Ten and being as productive oh, yeah. as he was. That's you just don't see that that often. So, um, you know, going from the uh, what the hell is coastal in? I messed this up the other day. The Big South in the Big oh my South, God. I, Big West. I have no idea. No, no, not the Big West. They're in Myrtle Beach. The, the Chanticleers is that their name? Chantilliers, Chant- <laughs> Chantilliers. I don't. The Chandeliers. The <laughs> The Coastal Carolina Chandeliers uh, point guard. Yeah, uh, they're in the Sun Belt. That's what they are. In. Oh, my God. Are they in the so, Sun Belt now? Yeah, so going from the Sun Belt to Sun Belt wasn't like 10. that when I was banging, man. Back in the day, Coastal Carolina wasn't in the Sun Belt in my day. No. That's a new addition, I feel like. So you go from playing UT Arlington and Arkansas State <laughs> and Louisiana Monroe God, to playing – <laughs> Coastal Carolina and UT Arlington are in the same goddamn conference. Yeah, that's right. Okay. You want to hear the Sun Belt? You want the whole Sun Belt? Yeah, Here yeah. What's the whole thing now? Because I know what it used to be. This is it for basketball. I don't know what it is for football. It's but the same. Yeah, um, so Georgia State, Coastal Carolina, oh South God. Alabama. Yep, original App, member. App State. Oh. Georgia Southern. Yep. Troy. Yep, original member. Texas State. Ugh. Louisiana. Yep. 
UT Arlington. So I guess Louisiana. Yeah, that would, be, still, that, would that be the Raging Cajuns? Is that just no, Louisiana? You, uh, Louisiana's Lafayette. Yeah, yeah, that's them. Yeah, they yeah, just yeah. call themselves Louisiana. Yeah. UT Arlington. And then Monroe Ar- was there. Arkansas State, Little Rock, and Louisiana Monroe. Can I tell you that I've been to like eight of those campuses <laughs> in my career? Multiple times. Multiple I've, times. I've been to... I've been to Troy like five times. Like... That's incredible. I've been to App State. Been to Boone. I've never been to Boone. I've been to Monroe. I've been to Lafayette. I've been to... Well, because App State used to be in the SoCon when I was covering Chattanooga for yeah, a year. Right. They ever won to play. So was... a. Uh... Georgia Southern was the big time. Georgia Southern was the big deal right. back then. Anyway, right. we're off track here. This is- <laughs> All right, next question. So I like Devontae Jones' edition. I think it, yeah. uh, it, it helps out. There you go. <laughs> okay, let's get to the uh, question of questions here um, for this week. Actually, no. Here's another one. I want to. Scott Davis asked two questions that were good. I want to ask this one first of Brendan. Scott says, Brendan, I lived in Chattanooga for 10 years. And we know Brendan lived in Chattanooga as well. Mm-hmm. So Scott lived in Chattanooga for 10 years and he watched Tennessee, the Vols, uh, suffer, struggle, whatever, for a decade under the weight of growing success of their rivals. He says, based on your experience around both places, is Joe Milton's new home just the SEC equivalent of what he just left? Oh, my God. <laughs> Man. It's a Go hell ahead, of a good point. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, Scott always asks good questions. That is a good yeah, question. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty close. <laughs> and in terms of like, it goes it goes beyond just like success and stuff like that. I think, you know, Michigan's yeah. certainly been a little, has been better than Tennessee in the last. Yeah, that's fair. Even with the deficiencies. It's the been pretty had. bad for the right. fall. But like, I mean, Tennessee, whole, I mean, what a steaming pile, man. Just outrageous <laughs> like, for all of the nonsense that's happened at michigan it's like times of close. 10 yeah, right. and that's tennessee you know like i mean i was there for the lane kiffin into Derek dooley into butch jones oh, and it was just God. weekly like sitcom Chaos. stuff where you're just like this place <laughs> is not real life um yeah and that was so, what two and a half years <laughs> wasn't yeah, that long yeah it was not that long at yeah, all right. Um, so let's see. I would say in terms of like the desperation of the fan base though, to have their, their dedication validated though, it is, it is identical. And the fact that like everyone is the savior, there's a lot of that that is, and I I mean, that's pretty much every program, but it is the more desperate you are, the more hyperbolic that stuff is that the, the next guy coming in, he's going to be the guy to turn around the whole program mm-hmm. and be the savior of the fucking right. school. Right. Like that's different <laughs> when you have success, you still hype up guys, but it's yeah. different than when like your, your self identity is being attached to this kid being, you know, everything you a, hope a transcendent player. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so I'm sure, I mean, I can already see, the boys at Ball Quest, which is like the rivals equivalent <laughs> down there in Knoxville. The uh, my man Rob Ball Lewis, Quest. my Love man it. Rob Lewis is queuing up some film of Milton <laughs> playing against Minnesota, and they are just like frothing at the mouth. I was gonna say there's like two games. There's not even anything to go on. They're ready. <laughs> they, they are have ready. gone over. 
everything from his sophomore season at Olympia in Orlando and figure there's a, there's, he does have a couple clips though where he just uncorks Joe Milton is a very field. physically talented quarterback like we've been yeah. through this I had people last fall that were like Nick what the, what the hell are you talking about he sucks and I'm like He's not ready, like he's not polished, but he can throw the ball anywhere he wants. He can do – yes, he has all these things. He's fitting with um, – why am I blanking on the dude's name? Uh, Heifel, quarter- Josh Heifel. From, yeah, I, I was going to say, dude, yeah. if they get some and guys around talk him. about this. <laughs> so, like, we've talked about this, and it's not just because Josh Heifel coached at UCF and Joe is from Orlando, which maybe that's part of it, right? Maybe he knew um, – mm-hmm. although I don't know if they crossed paths. I don't know if Scott Frost was still there. Whatever, but like UCF's offense, the stuff they ran with uh, Mackenzie Milton is perfect for Joe. It's perfect. <laughs> we used to talk about this back when I used to talk about this with Orion all the time um, at the Free Press when we would, would do that podcast early, early in when Patterson was still at Michigan and uh, the conversation about what are they going to do with McCaffrey and Milton, right? Which uh, we all know what happened there, right? They yeah. Drink. Jesus Christ. Anyway, <laughs> the conversation would be like, what are they going to do? Who are they going to pick? And my answer, I always said, I thought, I thought it needed to be Milton. I was like, he was younger. He had more time physically, all these things. But I also said, the last thing you are going to want to do is wake up in two years, turn on the TV and watch Joe Milton throw for 400 yards, rush for 150 and lead Central Florida and Josh Eiffel to a 65 to nothing win in some bowl game, Mm -hmm. right? That you're like, what are we, what's happening here? I'm going to tell you, I don't know if it's going to work at Tennessee because like you said, Brandon, and like Scott pointed out, like the self-awareness issue there and the unfair expectations they levy on people and how that can sort of mess with college kids is just a real problem. Sure. Uh, it doesn't get talked about enough, but it is. So that could be an issue. But like, if it clicks, I, I think it could work. I, yeah. I mean, I the bigger concern from everything that like I've it seen might not read work, on it might Tennessee not, is, yeah. yeah, I mean, the like the infrastructure for a functioning offense. I don't right. know how much, like, I don't know how much yeah. of an offensive line they have. Like they just might haven't have been no support. Yeah. They haven't been able to keep the offense on the field yeah. in, in the sec and just been, you know, that's why they just get well, pounded. That's the other thing. It's the sec and his, and the rawness right. of his game. is not going to, it's not going to work in the sec. I mean, he got away with things here that he would, he won't get away with there. And he didn't get away with much here <laughs> to be clear. I mean, sure. you know, a lot of his mistakes, got capitalized on, but there was a, there were a number of throws he made here that if I could just think off the top of my head, that if he's throwing yeah. it against Alabama, it's. it's hey, maybe they could have thrown a swing pass or two to the running back who was just drafted in the fourth round of the NFL draft who had what? 16 touches last year. Which one? One of the, one of the 17 guys they had. Drafted. I mean, <laughs> anyway, let's go forward here. We have a couple <laughs> questions on all this. Scott's second question. Nick, is this your 10th year on the Michigan beat? It's my 11th year, actually, Scott. So thank you for bringing that up. Entering your 11th, right? Entering my 11th season. Wow. Did you think there was any chance that Michigan football (laughs) wouldn't win a Big Ten title in your first decade covering the program? And what do you think is the biggest slash best Michigan football victory you have covered? Okay. There's a lot to unpack here. This is an incredible question. (laughs) I told you. We should have had Scott on the show. (laughs) Wait. So first of all, I want to ask you, did you think there was any chance you were going to cover Michigan for 10 years when you first started? Uh, I, I don't, I'm sure that thought never even entered my brain. <laughs> I don't think that that was something that I ever considered or thought about or entertained. Not that it, I thought it was impossible. I just didn't think about it probably at all. Right. If I'm just going to be right. honest. Yeah. Right. So no, I did not think about that. 
Um, I feel I feel like when I got here, we were still talking about the fact of like, there's no way this lasts, right? We're both going to be needing to get, <laughs> we'll get fired. Your, your fallback plan was pumping gas. Mine was bartending. So, yeah, right. <laughs> I would say that I will. So I'll start at the top of that question. Like, did you think that um, it was possible that you could go through a decade and they wouldn't win a big Ted title? Um, my answer to that is probably, I probably thought it was more possible than most people. Yeah. I Because I think if you came in, I came in from having left the area and I moved away when, you know, Lloyd Carr retired basically and mm. Rich Rod came in and everything changed. And, you know, I think if you were here and you were following the team and you, you know, depending on who you listened to and who you read, you were probably told a lot of things that we hear <laughs> a lot right now about how things are great and blah, blah, blah. But in reality, when you looked on the outside looking in, you saw a situation go from, when Lloyd Carr retired and Rich Rodriguez fizzled, Michigan went from, you know, the specialness of Michigan was gone. From my perspective, it was gone. In mm. that moment, for those kids in that time, the only thing that gave me hesitation that I thought maybe Brady Hoke would have a chance to get in was, was that uh, Trestle had had to go, right? Like they'd beaten Ohio State that year, and you didn't know what was going to happen with Ohio State. You've pretty much figured – I go back to this all the time before urban Meyer became the, no doubt he was going to be the guy that replaced Trestle. Like we talked about, it was like Bo Pelini, Mark D'Antonio. Yeah. Jesus. Right. right. Like D'Antonio would have been probably the best option there. I would think. Right. And Mark might've done, he might've been great. I don't know. He, might, he would have been probably similar to Trestle. I would think. But once urban got there, I was like, no, <laughs> I'm like, they're not pulling the car over for you. Like it's going to be very, very difficult. I thought it was possible they made it through that, you know, because the more time you went on, the deeper you got into it, you know, did I think that on day one of the job, I would cover the team for 10 years and they wouldn't win a big 10 title. Probably not. I probably assumed right. they won one somewhere in there. Right. Like I certainly thought it was possible. I heard people tell me that all the time. I've never thought this was possible. I'm like I thought it was possible. Why, why isn't it possible when you lose your, the thing that makes you special and you can't replace it. You're not special anymore. You can tell yourself you are all you want. When Lloyd Carr left and they lost that bridge of 40 years, it was gone. And you can't just, you've been trying to recreate it ever since. And here we are. In, in the 10 years you've been doing this, have you come to an answer or have you come upon an answer to the question of is Michigan's best course to try to replicate what made it special or try to find a new thing that makes it special? Well, I know what the answer is. I've come to my opinion on the answer and it's the latter and that's hmm. the situation i think that they're in now and i think that that's the crossroad that a lot of people and i don't and i'm not foolish to this to think that i'm you know that my perspective or opinion is correct i don't mm -hmm. know if i would say that i would say that there are people who would tell you you know that i talk to who will say that i believe you know smart people who would say i believe you can go forward with you know sort of new new ideas but you can keep the things that made michigan michigan and you can embrace them. And I, I can understand that too. I think that, you know, a lot of the recent staffing hires that we saw, you know, in the assistant side of things speaks to that right. a little bit, you know, like Mike and Bellamy and um, some of those guys, like they have an attachment and I, you know, over time. And as I've grown up and doing this job and been exposed to it more, I, I used to think in my mid twenties, like this tradition shit is bullshit. Who cares? Hmm. Like, who cares about any of this shit? Nobody cares. Like these kids don't care. I used to, you know, in your mid twenties, and you're covering college football, you only think of it from the perspective of the recruit because right. you're closest to them in age. And my whole thing back then was like, yeah, nobody cares. They don't care that you won a Heisman trophy 15 years ago or whatever. It's not a thing, but like, 
as time has gone on, I've become more, you're around it. And it does matter when they get here, that they have people here who, if you have any kind of uniqueness to your place, that they have people here who can properly explain that to them. Like Mm -hmm. when I, when I get on the phone with like Jordan Lewis and talk to Jordan about why he wanted to go to Michigan and why he still, even though Jordan gets mad at Michigan a lot, Mm. why he still loves the place. Like when you talk to somebody like that, it makes sense, right? Like it makes sense. And those type of people need to be around your football program. And I think that Michigan's gone a hundred different directions over the years trying to figure out what to do, but like you can go forward in a new direction, but I do think that it is important to make sure that you have people who can offer that unique perspective at the place you're at, because if you're not special, if you don't have that kind of like uniqueness to you, then what are you? You're just, you're nothing. You're just like one of the, you're one right. of your number in the crowd. And it's far more easy for teams to, to go into that than I think fans ever realize that it's, you're far closer to being a number in the crowd than you are to being Alabama is as close to being a number in the crowd as closer than people realize if Saban hmm. left tomorrow, what the fuck, what do you think they're going to do? <laughs> they're just going to keep going. Like nothing's going to change. I mean, that's, that's college athletics. So, I mean, I think that, you know, you do have to have those threads. I've, I've become more, the Michigan man thing was always overbearing. It's, it's overdone, but I do think the threads right. do need to exist. And I think that they're important. Yeah. And I mean, I do think that stuff's important also for, you know, there's, there's a reason that people have the emotional attachment that they do. Yeah. And there's a reason that you put, you know, 108,000 asses into that right hole, you know, that's like, it you know, right there. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not, it's not simply, Oh, that's my school. Right. It's the mm-hmm. memories. It's the, it's the um, you kind of start to identify yourself with where you were when this happened and, and this player and that's a player connection, and this coach, like, you know, yeah. like that's, this is that's, what we do. This is who we right. are. Right. This is how we do things. It's not always perfect. It doesn't always work, but then it can like, border I'm, on an impediment. Right. It can, you have to balance it. Right. But it's like, this is what we do. This is who we are. We don't apologize for it. It doesn't always work, but we're okay with it because we understand it and we've embraced it. Like you have to have some thread of that. And Michigan, I think, and this is the thing that nobody can figure out with the Harbaugh thing, is that they lost that to a degree with a guy running the program that, above all, understands that. And that's the hard thing that's like, and he does, like Jim Harbaugh knows all those things, but like how you, how that gets frayed with someone like that as your head coach is the thing that I think boggles most minds. But it's also like, there's so much more to the picture than just that, you know, like Ohio State being Ohio State is the biggest reason why Michigan hasn't won the big 10 in 10 years. I mean, like that's the, that's the easiest answer to the whole situation there. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'll say uh, when I came in in 2013 and I remember the week I accepted the job at M live, Tennessee was playing at Florida in a day game. And this was Ooh, Tennessee. Big, big game. Tennessee was all, you know, again, spilling gas all over the place. <laughs> and it was very clear, you know, and everyone that, at the that Dooley. That was Dooley. That was Dooley. Yeah. And like, yeah. you know, I'm there and it's, you know, the new Sentinels, this great place with, you know, older writers who'd been around for 25 years back to Fulmer and seen all this shit. Right. And, you know, Dooley had like his introductory press conference and John Adams was like, this guy's going to be fired in two years. And he yeah. was right. <laughs> 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 So, uh, 
He was 100% uh, correct. We, we, <laughs> were at, we were at Florida, and it was four of us, I think. And I'm trying oh. to think if Evan Woodbury would have been down there, too. But it was me, Mike Strange, John Adams. What a crew. Uh, and, and I think Woodbury. And What a crew. Is this where you left the rental car on the whole game? No, and- that was at uh, Oregon. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so, But we were at a bar that night. Yeah. And I and I knew I was going to Ann Arbor, and I don't I don't know if I had told you know the guys yet, but I mm-hmm. I, I think I in my head whether I'd formally done so or not, I knew I was taking the job. And we were sitting at a bar, you know, some sports bar, and that night was Michigan Notre Dame. Okay. And they was, won. That, yeah, yeah, definitely. they won that game. I just mm-hmm. looked it up, and that was the game they won, forty-one thirty. Yeah, that was. I remember. I'm just watching this game at this bar, right? You know, the it's a night game, so the camera's panning, and it's the maze pom poms all going. I'm sitting there, and I'm wide eyed. I'm like, this is gonna be awesome, you know? Like this place, they're two. They were, you know, (laughs) won that game, and I'm like, this is just. And they, I, you know, the program had some juice then, and it was. I would agree with that. Yeah, uh, it was still. I think Brady as you know a as an answer. Yeah, and. If you would have told me then, <laughs> yeah, that night, like this place, they're not going to win a Big Ten championship, and you're going to be there for yeah, eight that's fair. Years, I, yeah. I would not have bought it at all. I, I just thought, you know, what an incredible place and all the history and all that stuff, and I, I was so geeked up to uh, to come up here and um, you know, it that was the, the football that program, was the high, but I'm still happy to be here. It, <laughs> it was never that was the highest, the last peak for Brady Hope. It never got that high again. That was the, you know, like 2011, they went 11 and two. They had, you know, those kind of, and Scott asked the question, like, what's your, what's the most impressive win? Sure. And it would probably be those two Notre Dame games, the 2011 Notre Dame game where they kind of pulled it out of their ass. And then the, the 2013 Notre Dame game, Notre Dame game was the one where they set the attendance record and Mark Harmon was here. You weren't here. You don't remember Mark Harmon being here. Mark Harmon came and did a press conference with us because Tom Harmon got honored or whatever for the, that's a game where Devin wore the 98. Yeah. Jersey for the first time. Right. Yeah. And it was the best game, maybe outside of that Ohio state game. When he hurt his foot, it was probably the best game. I remember Devin playing outside of that Ohio state game. He was so good. Mm. He looked like he looked like some kind of weird cross between like Vince young and Denard and somebody else, you know, <laughs> that you were like, what the hell is this? Like, yeah, he was throwing back shoulders to gallon. Like it was nothing. Like he looked like a first round pick bottom line. And you thought, I remember talking to Josh Slaughter about that that night. Cause I was like, they got it here. This is if the rest of the team, I didn't think was very good. They were super young and they had a lot of guys, they were overvalued. I thought that year. Cause the team I thought was not ready, but I was like, if this guy's going to be a monster, like who gives a shit, they're going to be fine. They're going to win 10 or nine or 10 games and Brady's going to be fine, but that's not, <laughs> that's not what happened. So yeah, that was the end of it. Um, the beginning of the end right there, I guess the beginning of the end, I think is probably in, in late 2012 when they trotted Bellamy out there instead of Devin after Robinson got hurt at Nebraska. Mm. But I would say that that Notre Dame game in 2013 is probably the top one there. The top one of Harbaugh would probably be the Florida bowl game, the citrus bowl, the first year when they just beat the shit out of them. That's, that's the one, that's the one where I thought, and again, I'll take you back. I mean, we, I left that game thinking like uh, they've got it here. They're bringing everybody back. They're really good and they're totally bought in. And I don't care. You know, yeah, I thought they had a team around whatever quarterback they would have the next season and it would be fine. But that was that, that Florida bowl game was the one where I was like, okay, this is probably going to work. Like this is Harbaugh's got it. He's got, he's got them believing in what he wants. Like it's going to work. And then 
it didn't. <laughs> so yeah. like, I mean, like that's, there's been a couple of those, but you know, I don't know for, for all the reasons we've talked about for a hundred times, that's, it didn't work or it didn't last anyway. I want to get your take on, cause we just spent this time on Michigan. Um, the column that Colton wrote. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. For, for Sunday. Um, uh, yeah. So, yeah. you know, the Michigan state draft streak snapped and blah, 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 blah. Eight years, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, man. And you know, Kudos to Colton for, for you know, taking a few mm-hmm. steps back and going wide lens on that thing and, and tracing it back to just kind of how how much the yeah. end of the D'Antonio era kind of derailed um, that that program and, you know, not capitalizing on the most successful era of, of modern yeah. program history to uh, to go from where they were at the, the height of the, you know, D'Antonio's time there to, you know, this is the remnants of it. They didn't have a draftable player on the roster. Um, That's it. What was, what was your read? Your I read was there? so happy Colton wrote it because, like, not, not only that, not only was I happy that he wrote it because I think it was really good. He did a really good job. Like, and he, I, got a, I got a Slack message at 5 a.m. Sunday from Colton wanting me to read it. That's how long he worked on it. So he did a very, very good job. I was glad he wrote it because, like, we have talked about that for two years. That's why. That's all. There is no other answer. Like right. when the draft ends and Michigan State doesn't have a guy and people are looking around being like, why didn't they have a guy drafted? There's one answer. You lost your margin for error. The end of the Mark D'Antonio you know, era, we talked about it on the podcast two weeks ago. Like, but when you asked me, is Shakur Brown going to get picked? And I said, I don't know. Is anybody going to get picked? And I said, I don't know. They might not have a guy picked. Sure. And the reason they might not have a guy picked is because we talked a lot about over the years – the comparisons between the way D'Antoni and John Beeline recruited, like it was a world-class, explain this in the story, like, D'Antonio was a world-class safeties, and I would argue defensive tackles, you know, premium positions where if you can find dudes there, no one in college football is scoring on you. If you are a smart coach who knows what he's doing, and he evaluated those spots better than anybody, he could find guys you know, in a pile mm-hmm. of rubble and they turned into, he did it multiple times. But when those guys, when you stop finding those guys and they stop hitting the bottom rusts out and everything collapses. And that's sure. what happened in 2016. And then it just continued. And you saw, I don't, you know, I, the terms that we use, I mean, like a death rattle would be probably too graphic, but like 2017 was like a tremor. They had a good year, but it was like, I looked at that almost as like, it wasn't accidental the team played hard and they worked hard and they fought for each other, but like they were not that talented. The offense wasn't very good. They got some wins that year against teams that they had no business beating. Like it was a mirage. It wasn't real. And then as you continue to peel the roster back, you look forward and here they are. So I, yeah, I thought it was a great, great story by Colton. Uh, and he would know that better than anybody, obviously someone who's every day watching it, but like, I was really glad he wrote it. Cause we talked about that a ton. Like even when D'Antonio was finishing in 2018, 2019, like you could see it. It was just like, this is not going to be what you think it is. It's not going to be what you remember in three years. It's going to be the right. opposite. Right. You know, you I, know, I mean, you know, this is going to, we would, this say is that, going to we would say that to people at the time. And yeah, it, it's going to be a test. For, it was hard to say. We, you, for Tucker. Yeah, go ahead. For Tucker. I mean, it's this idea of, I mean, you mentioned it on our last pod when we talked about the draft, you said, you know, he can turn this into a positive by selling the playing time. Like, look, right. man, we're, we're depleted and, you can come in here and make an impact. Well, you know, at the same time, 
you know, there's a reason that the programs that produce pros get more pros, you know, like, yeah, you want to sell that in recruiting. And yeah, I mean, if if Mel Tucker can spin this thing into a positive, that all, all credit to him, but that's easier said than done, man. Well, right. In terms of recruiting, that's all you can do is be like, come in here and start if you want. Right. Like that's the only thing you can do, but to the grander, to the grander point, And this is the other part of this, like uh, D'Antonio was a, you know, world-class evaluator of these positions, but also developer. So mm-hmm. like these guys got here and they got to where they needed to go. Right. Like he saw something in them. We talked about that too, with um, St. Just, uh, some yep. of these guys, some of these Michigan guys that Harbaugh took a chance on and then sort of like dropped the rope midway through. and was like, I just don't know if this is worth it. going to be worth it. D'Antonio mm-hmm. didn't do that. He often usually wrote up Jack Conklin Dark West Denard, Trey Waynes, all these guys, right? Like these defensive tackles that they would find. And when that stops, like, and you can't play like that anymore. And so like, we would tell people this, like, look, the roster can't handle this. It's not, there's still a little bit there to give you that like accent. Maybe it's okay, but like, it's not going to last. And they had to restart it. So like, yeah, you're just going to have to develop. You're going to have to recruit. And I think right now their strategy is what it should be. Just go, Anybody want to come here? We'll give you a chance to start if you want. You can come in here and build your own legacy and we'll see what happens. But yeah, you got to develop because you're not going to get draft picks unless you start getting draft picks, right? Like that's, you're not going to get draft picks to sign with you unless you start putting more in the league. And, you know, that's going to have to be step one here now is to start a new streak if you can, you know, the best you can. Right. Yeah. But Uh, Kevin asks, is it basketball season yet? Hey, Kevin, (laughs) my man, we live in Michigan. Like, the weather just broke. Why are we rushing through the summer? I love basketball as much as anybody, but let's just take a break. Like I, I've worn shorts twice. <laughs> Can I get outside for like three out? Can I get two sunburns before you make me go? Damn. Can I get sunburned twice? You got anything else over there? Uh, No, I think we're good. That's okay. a good place to wrap it on. I don't know if there was any more. Uh, we could get into the Michigan draft question, but we've done that before. <laughs> it's the same as everything else. So. Um, yeah. Do we need to touch on – well, let's touch on Franz. Okay. We didn't touch on this earlier, right? Yeah, um, So it's – because we're recording this Tuesday morning. Um, it was put out there at 9 a.m. today that Franz is moving on. Uh, I would not say this was unexpected at all. Um from everything that, you know, I've been told, you know, the program was not pl- in any way planning for the, even the possibility of him being yeah. around next year. Hence why there's not even an open scholarship for him if he did want to come back. But um, yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see um, what, how these pro teams evaluate Franz. Um, you know, I think his upside and his skill set. And his playmaking ability, talent, upside, all these things are pretty much without question. Um, but there's some real questions. I mean, if you re- if you want to pick him apart a little bit, you can. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the whether it's his strength, whether yeah. it's his athleticism, whether it's you know 32 percent shooting on threes over over two seasons at Michigan, his consistency. Um, you know, exactly how he projects to the pros. Um, 
from everything that's being put out there, he's, he's a lottery pick. And, you know, at times that seems a little high to me, but I, I also gets, get it. Yeah, I right. get, I, I get why, but, mm. and it's, it's, it's easier to question things when you've watched every game a guy played for two years, right. As opposed to the, oh, the God, kid, damn, the kid yeah. from whatever, whatever <laughs> school who I watched the highlights of, I was like, yeah, that guy's awesome. Like, this hey. guy is amazing. Scotty right, Pippen, right. part two. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Franz moving on though, but you know, I, I, I can I, see it. I think he's got the physical traits that you're looking for. If you're mm-hmm. like 12, you know, 11, 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there. Um, but yeah, no, there's a lot of questions. He's young, but there's a lot of questions. I think that's, but I think people have known that about Franz, right? Like people have been scouting Franz for three years. Sure. You know, NBA people, or maybe longer. I don't know. Maybe when they realized who Mo was, they started looking at Franz, but like, I think people probably understand that, right? Like NBA teams probably get that he, you know, they know his path. He started, you know, not a traditional way as you would see somebody who grew up here. He didn't play high school ball. He was playing with pros when he was 16, 17. Right. Minim, you know, limited minutes. And then he grows into this. And I mean, yeah, we, we don't even really know what Franz, how many games did he play at Michigan where they really, really leaned on him and said, Franz, we need you to go the full like 40 here. That's kind of the thing. You know what I mean? I mean yeah, right. Like we don't know how he holds up to that still. Yeah. I mean, he had some really you know, just tremendous games and things like that. But to your point that those nights of being like, Hey man, this is on you, you know, go, go get us the W go make winning plays in the last five minutes. It was here and there, you know, a little bit down the stretch, but not a lot. Yeah. I mean, like the Iowa game this year, he was just tremendous. Yeah. Uh, At Indiana, he was tremendous. Um, The Wisconsin game. I remember him being just, you know, unbelievable. Um, and, and he did, he showed, you know, his game did grow this year and he was bigger and stronger and suddenly he had arms and suddenly he had some shoulders on him yes, and stuff yeah. like that. So, you know, I do think with him not turning, he hasn't turned 20 until August. Um, you know, I'm sure there's NBA strength and conditioning programs that are looking at this guy and saying, you know, yeah, we yeah. can turn him into a grown ass man in three years, you know. Um, and if that's the case, yeah, I mean, he could really – work out and he's got you know he's got some confidence to him and um you know say what you will about that UCLA game he still had the balls to take those shots which a lot of a so lot of guys everyone, when you're one for eight one, one for nine yeah. and you're still willing to put it up you know that right is or such wrong a good point. that is such a good point and I promise you it's something that does well for him and he, he thought yeah. they were going in yeah he took every one of them he, he took them and he thought that they were they were going in so uh that's a good you know, point. That that says something. And I'm sure there are people that are still pissed about how that game went. But that says a lot more than people probably think. Yeah. That's a good right. point. I would agree. Um, all right. That's it. You good? Yeah, man. All right. Right out of here. Well, that'll do it. Uh, we appreciate everyone listening. Be sure to hop in the iTunes store, uh, rate and review this podcast. Uh, share it with your friends. Subscribe to The Athletic. And tip your bartenders and your servers. Place where I